analyzing 5,000 houses in 18 days. Wow. Wow. We would drive every house, do a title search on every house, <laughs> comp every house. I literally had, I had it down where we had 1.4 minutes to analyze houses. Wow. I'm like, can you do this again? He's like, yeah, I just need money. I just need money and lots. I'm like, my name is George Roddy. You are now listening to the Real Estate Everybody's Podcast. You see this guy here staring back at you? That's your toughest opponent. Every time you get into the ring, that's who you're going against. I believe that in boxing, and I do believe that in life. Your weekly deep dive into DFW real estate, life, and beyond. With your hosts, Tavis Westbrook and Ashton Hines. Well, good morning and welcome to the Real Estate Heavyweights podcast. And in the last several weeks, we've this has been the Real Estate Heavyweights University where we've taken a deep dive into the world of flipping. And we wrapped that up last week. If you have any interest in flipping, please go back. I think we did about six episodes there. And we really try to, to look at it piece by piece and uh, try to walk you through that process. We're going to double back at some point and go deeper on some of those topics. But one of our main goals with this podcast is to bring you people that um, are, are experts in our industry who have, you know, gone this path for years and years. And we are starting that off today. So uh, we're about to bring you an, an awesome interview with our friend George, Actavis's friend, uh, George, that he's known for a long, long time. So uh, I'm Ashton Hines, one half of the real estate heavyweights. I'm the newbie here. I will sit back and just try to take notes. Tavis, uh, he is my mentor, my my guy that I've bought a couple properties from. He's walking me through a flip. He's done over 200 flips. So let's say hey to Tavis. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. Good morning. I'm excited about this interview. Man, me too. You, you kind of line this up. And uh, without further ado, why don't we we bring in our, our guest? And uh, George, why don't you just Give us a little bit of an intro. Take us into your life about, uh, I know you said you got started way back in 1975. So take us back and tell us where you got started and, and how you got here today. So, I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm taking notes. I'll let you run with it and you you give us some details and, and we'll, we're definitely going to pick your brain along the way. So how are you doing today? I'm good, Ashton. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on the heavyweights. Wow. I'm honored. Um, <laughs> Yeah, 75, I, I, I made some notes because, you know, I was nervous about doing this, you know, but uh, <laughs> I'll try to get through it. Yeah, um, kind of grew up in um, dad and mom moved us out to the country, which was called Anna, Texas, back in 1975. Um population of 500. Uh, it's grown a little bit since then. Wow. So I, I lived out there till 85 and came back to Plano um, and have kind of been in Plano in the DFW, kind of the Frisco area ever since. Um, what else? Um, anyway, I kind of got started in real estate in 93. Um, I, I was lucky. You mentioned the word mentor. Um, my father owned a uh, real estate data research company here in Dallas. Um, so he was big in data, all right? And it had to do with real estate as well. So we would track all the commercial sales in Dallas-Fort Worth. If Trammell Crow bought a piece of land or 
somebody bought uh, an apartment building, we would find that out and then call the principals and try to get more information if it was land, et cetera. And every month we put out a report called the Roddy Report. And so okay. brokers, appraisers, things of that nature, before there was the online, all this data was on online, there was a paper version of what's going on in DFW. So I cut my teeth being a data researcher, going down and collecting information, adding information to it, to it and selling that information to our clients. Um, and then my father also bought a company in the mid 80s called Foreclosure Listing Service. And it was run by two sisters out of their house. He bought it from them and we would collect what is posted for foreclosure each and every month. And then we would go to the auctions and track the sales. You know, just because a property is posted for foreclosure doesn't mean it's going to be auctioned off, right? So we would track which ones um, would actually go to the auction. What did they, what was the opening bid? What was the closing bid? And sell that information. So um, that's kind of, you know, how I got in the business, which I did not want to work for my father. Uh, I mean, that was, you know, that was not what I aspired to be. But after going to Texas Tech in 89 and then them not asking me back the next year, it <laughs> limited my, I don't know why, uh, you know, I mean, a 0.002 GPA and you're not going to ask me back. Um, so on. I didn't start off great with the education. I wasn't the best student. Um in the typical classroom, I guess. And so dad basically told me, you know, you got some choices. There's the armed forces. Uh, I think he'd be a great used car salesman, George. And, and or you could come work for me. So I decided, I, I took about a week, all right? I, I didn't, <laughs> and uh, decided to start working with him. And he said, it's going to be tough. I'm, you're going to be in the basement you know, so to speak, and you're going to work your way up. So I expect yeah. you here at 7 a.m. and you'll probably leave at 7 p.m. And yeah. uh, I pay from eight to five, though. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> so um, what you know, but you he was my mentor. Um, the more I got into it, the more I learned from him and he knew a lot of people. But um essentially he kind of taught me I was, I, you know, I was young. I want to focus on the money. I, I, I see all these people coming in, driving fancy cars. And I kind of wanted that, you know, as a 20 year old, I want that. And he just said, look, the money will come. You know, one of the things that I learned is the money will come. What you need to do is learn the fundamentals first. And I'm not going to open up my Rolodex and open up a lot of doors until you can prove to me that you know the fundamentals backwards and forwards. Um, he taught me, you know, that the reason why he's been successful in the data business is because he's accurate. Um, accuracy on data, and that's what separated us. We weren't a big firm, but people came to us because we were accurate and we were reliable, right? Mm. Um, and so, Whenever I say, dad, no one's going to know that there's, you know, that T isn't crossed and that I, he's like, no, it matters to me. And those little things is what I think separate successful people um, from those that 
are just getting by. So the details. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I grew up in a family business too. I, I, after college, I installed blinds and shutters for my family uh, in Austin and actually started that business up in Denver for it. So I know the dynamics of, uh, of working with mom and dad and it's, it's really cool in a lot of ways. And then, you know, sometimes it's like, I kind of wish we could turn this off every once in a while. (laughs) And yeah, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I mean, I want to, I want to touch back on that at some point of, you know, I do think that one of the biggest differences now for what you're talking about is, you know, the internet has really allowed people to fast track knowledge and you, you don't have to grind as much to gain certain knowledge, but there is some, there's value in the grind. And back when you were starting, it sounds like, you know, you had to do it because the, the internet wasn't there. You were having to to show up on the steps and all that. And now it's information is so easy that I think sometimes people see the results and they try to click enough buttons to make it work out. And it's really, really hard to replace that work ethic and that grind. So that's, that's super impressive. And and I can see the result from that. So, yeah. So George, um, so obviously, I mean, that I've known, um, you know, great things from you and your, your history with your dad, uh, your mom was in real estate as well. Right. So, um, I think you ended up starting out, when did you get your license and join Keller Williams back in the day? Uh, got my license in 98. So I started to work for dad. My mom was a traditional real estate agent. Um, they separated, got divorced in 85. She went down, she went to Arlington, Virginia. Then, um, a couple years later came down to Houston. So she got her license and she was the prototypical, you know, realtor. I mean, and, and, and she was the extrovert. My dad was more introverted. Um, but she was bubbly. I mean, she's out there. I, I mean, embarrassed me almost every time we went out to lunch because she would spill her business cards on at the restaurant and always networking with, I mean, I was like, mom, please don't, don't try to network with everyone. You know, the the waitress, Hey, what are you doing? I'm like, Oh man, here we go. What are you doing? What's your, you know, she would try. And, and I love that though. I mean, um, now looking back, I, you know, I got some trades from her, but she told me, um, and I started buying houses and I saw the need for, and certainly you don't need it, but I saw that if you're going to buy and sell multiple properties and a lot, maybe it makes sense to get your license. And, you know, guys, I was a data guy. So having access to MLS was key for me. I mean, I'm a night owl. You know, we talked about this, Tavis. You know, I don't go to bed till 2 a.m. Um, I love data. I mean, last night I'm looking at MLS, crunching data, looking at because I'm always looking for that next deal. So I wanted that data and I didn't want to re- have to rely on someone else's schedule. So, yeah, I, I was and I went to Keller Williams. My mom was with Keller Williams down in Houston and I wanted to learn how traditional the traditional market work, even though every day in my mind, I was, I'm an investor. You know, when I wake up, I, my dad was the entrepreneur, the investor. My mom was traditional six percenter, you know, that type of realtor. And so I combined the two. I learned the traits of, I tried to look at successful realtors that are making six figures. What do they do? 
you know, and why recreate the wheel? You know, I'm not a big, I'm not the smartest guy, but I'll just align and try to be a chameleon to people that are successful. And when they're doing something, I'm going to try to soak up as much as I can from them. And then I'll turn it into my own. That's, that's what I've always done is I learn as much as I can from someone. And then I put my tweak on it. I might go a little bit, you know, um, I might go a little bit different direction than they did, but yeah. So let me ask you this, because um, that brings up a great point. And, you know, myself uh, starting in traditional real estate and focusing on the investment side now since 2009. And actually, I think that's when you and you and my past crossed uh, was about 2009 mm-hmm. after, you know, this the crisis that we had with, you know, the mortgage um, industry and everything. Uh, and Ashton starting out in traditional real estate as well, kind of, you know, cutting his teeth, getting into this groove, getting out of his, you know, nine to five job and and kind of working this way full time. Um, And then, you know, I'm exposed, obviously, I'm still part of uh, Keller Williams DPR. And um, there's about 600 agents there. And there's been a big push lately, a lot of interest with people that are, you know, traditional real estate agents that are trying to focus and at least start with their own portfolio, but also kind of explore the investment world. So what would you say some of the thing, the biggest things that you learned that you were able to kind of take from the traditional world or, you know, carry into the investment world and still to this day, what do you think some of those big connectors are that, that help your business and what you do today? Um, I mean, I, I think that, you know, unfortunately, NAR and TAR, right, our boards, there's not a 401k. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I just looked at it as guys, you know, um, you are the gatekeepers of all this information and knowledge. But I, you need to, you know, you need to turn sometimes that focus on you. And at the same time, I want you to represent clients. I want you to build their portfolio, but you have to also be diligent enough to not spend all your money, save some of it. And then let's turn, you need to, you need to be your best client. And that's, you know, I would stand in front of people all the time um, and say, my number one client is me. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to be, I'm being, I'm saying that as humbly as I can, because I love helping others, but um, if I'm not helping myself along this journey, it, it, I'm going to hurt my, yeah, you know, I'm going to hurt others by not seeing internal. So I, I always say, look, you're your best client some days, maybe not every day, but some days you have to turn the focus on you and build your portfolio because, um, I didn't have a 401k. I didn't work for a big company, so I had to build my retirement, and I wanted to do that. I early on, I bought some penny stocks. Somebody called me up, and I got stung, and you know, I made some money in real estate, and I bought ten thousand dollars in penny stocks. And a week later, I look, and it's all gone. And I'm like, I had no control over that. And my best friend, you know, is with Wells Fargo Financial, right? And he's like, yeah, but you know, you never really know how much you're worth until you sell it. I'm like, no, I want control. (laughs) And so I learned early on that if some CEO gets caught and, you know, or does something wrong, 
boom, I wanted to control my own destiny. That's why I focus more on real estate than going stocks and bonds. And I know a lot of people that make a lot of money in stocks and all that. I just, that wasn't my, I early on, I got stung and I think that it, it yeah. I remembered that. And so I always wanted to control my own destiny and not let someone else. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. To that point, give us a little bit of a, a background on or a snapshot of what your portfolio was looking like. And coming into the mid uh, early 2000s, uh, the 2008, uh, 2009 era, because when you talk about controlling your destiny, you, you look at the market now, you know, and for me, I'm new. And so there's you can control the, the purchase and your rehab costs. And I, I struggle with some of that. But the market, trying to predict the market, what is it going to be like in six months or three months or a year? Right now, it's a little bit, there's a question mark for me, especially. Mm -hmm. So it seems like multiply that by 10 back in 2008. So you can't control all that stuff. So what, were, what was your portfolio looking like going into that time? And how did you navigate that tumultuous uh, era of real estate that so many people have, that was kind of like a, a real benchmark era for them? Yeah, I, um, you know, I was doing a lot more fix and flips um, instead of I think I had maybe 10 rental properties right going into 2008 and nine. Um, and I was doing a lot of fix and flips and then the interest rates and it all imploded, you know, the, the ninja loans. And I kind of saw that. So I started backing off on holding a bunch because I, I, I kind of. Looking at foreclosures, you know, that data, that trend was going up. And once I started, it's usually six months after, right? But I, I saw it going up and I'm like, it's about to pop. And just how people were getting qualified for loans, I was like, this is not sustainable. Um, so, and my, you know, my dad and looking at all this data, I wanted to, so I kind of held off on holding a lot more because I was like, it's, I feel like I didn't know it was going to be that bad, but I felt like something was going to pop in usually every 15 years. I mean, it had been 80, 83, um, 85 is kind of when the last one. And then, so I, I knew eventually it's, it's going to happen and that's when values are going to go down. So um, I had 10 properties uh and then I, I met somebody that was putting some money together and I, I said, hey, why don't we buy some properties, fix them up? And that's when I um, aligned with Tavis and, and and we started doing, he started helping with acquisitions and then it turned into, uh, well, it turned into full renovation, GC, and pretty much, you know, um, <laughs> he was doing everything. And then I was like, hey, you know, he's like, Anyway, it was, that's, Tavis is so great. And, um, <laughs> and, and we talk about talented people, you know, uh, or I haven't talked about it, but I love working with talented people. Um, and so I could see that. And he was like, eventually he's like, George, I, I'm going to go this way. Cause I'm pretty much doing everything, you know, besides the money and I can find the money. So in, a, in the nicest way, he <laughs> said that to me. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, but bottom line is I, uh, the one thing I didn't, here's, here's what surprised me. I had kind of built up relationships with banks and 
and credit is a big thing, right? Um, and so I didn't see that I had probably $2 million in lines um, that I was preparing to buy, right? Once this thing hits, that's when you buy and you hold. And what I didn't see is all of those banks, it basically that 2 million went down to 200,000. And, and I, I was like, what? I mean, I had money in the bank, but I was preparing to buy. And because the banks tightened up, they did not like the word real estate in 2008, 9, 10, yeah. 11. So all of my lines went to, and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm walking in. I'm like, what did I do? And he's like, it's not you. It's just, we don't, we're not doing these type of loan. We don't want to be in this. We got to let this settle out. And we got auditors coming in. So I, that threw me for a loop because I had started preparing five years before to be prepared to have, to be liquid enough to then accumulate, in my mind, I wanted to accumulate $2 million worth of, or, you know, spend $2 million um, to try to buy, you know, $5 million worth of product and then ride this way back up. Uh, so that was the one thing that I didn't see coming and I had to pivot. Um, so, cool. so, and I was able to, yeah. I was going to say that's that's a great lead in to kind of like your journey, you know, and as we're as we're talking here, because uh, we've known each other a long time. But it's funny having this like flashback moment of just our journey in the business. And, uh, you know, in 2009 and, uh, you know, yeah, like you said, the bank stopped lending. Right. So that was like a shift in my business. And it was like, OK, but the REO market started picking up. Right. So REO is real estate owned property that was foreclosed. The bank owns it now. And now it was on MLS. So that's how I was finding deals. But George, obviously, your background was actually buying at the courthouse steps and finding opportunities then. And so you know, I think it was around 2010 uh, leading into 2011 when you and I were doing uh, a lot of deals together. I was doing some stuff with portfolio and other investors. And then you had stuff. And um, like you said, I think our paths kind of crossed from the design side. And then it just led into a bigger necessity. And I think, you know, I had trades lined up and we were able to do this stuff quick and you did, you were like, Oh, this is great. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I, I learned a lot. I mean, we did a lot of stuff. I think together, I think one of those years, I think you and I probably touched on like 26 properties or something together, um, in a year. So, you know, uh, that's, that's quite a bit, you know, um, mm -hmm. and, and these were fix and flips, right? These weren't just wholesale deals. So, um, you know, we were touching and renovating every property and, and selling them. Um, so, but one of the coolest things, you know, and after that, you know, you and I kind of separated for a little while, talked, but we didn't really know what was going on. And I think it was probably around 2014, 15, when I, you know, was getting into bigger projects and doing some tear down, rebuild stuff. And then that's kind of when our, our past circled back. But from the interim of like 2012 to like 2014, 15, I think that's when you were working for one of those big hedge funds, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you want to touch a little bit on that? Probably some of the things you learned and, and, and I know my biggest regret in this business is not holding more property or not keeping more mm -hmm. throughout the years. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say without you saying it, that's probably one of yours <laughs> as well. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. Um, I think Wayne, 
not Wayne Hughes, that's the owner, but uh, Warren Buffett, I think Warren Buffett came out and said, if I was younger, I would buy, I would buy every piece of real estate I could and I'd hold it. This was in 2012. And five months later, a guy, you know, called me up and said, Hey, I bought your dad's list. And your dad said, you do some consulting. I've got $10 million. I'm going to the auction tomorrow. And I'm like, mm-hmm, okay. I mean, there's people with money. And, right. and, and so that didn't, you know, 10 million, a hundred million, 1 million, it, it, you need to know the fundamentals. And he didn't. Now he was an investor from um, Arizona, originally from LA, but you know, this is the day before the auction. He calls me and, and he's, and so I said, all right, have you done a title search? You're going to the auction, you know, and no, I haven't. I'm like, yeah, you're going to lose money. Um, I mean, it's, you're going to buy some that, but let me ask you a question. If there's a $150,000 house, what would you pay for it tomorrow? You haven't seen it. All you know that it's about, and he's like, what will it rent for? I mean, that was because I didn't know him from Adam. He's like, I said, let's say it rents for fourteen hundred. He's like, I'd probably pay one thirty-five. I'm saying, I'm like, wait a minute, it rents for fourteen hundred. You would pay one hundred thirty-five thousand sight unseen, and you know this house has problems. I mean, it's going to need, you know, cosmetically, even if it was built in two thousand in two thousand, it's going to need renovations. You're going to mm -hmm. spend ten, fifteen thousand. He's like, yeah. I'm like, where are you? Where are you right now? You've got how much money? And so literally I met him at a barbecue place off the tollway 14 minutes later because he was on the tollway. I said, meet me at Rudy's Barbecue in Frisco. And he told me, hey, this is who I work for. I work for the owner of public storage. And uh, I got $10 million to spend. I said, well, I, I can't help you. And he's like, I'm we're coming, we're coming to Texas. And so I said, well, I'm your guy. Um, I, here's what I won't do. I'm not going to go to the auctions. I will not go to any auctions in DFW because we put out this data. Um, and my dad always told me, look, I don't mind if you buy at the auction, George, I don't want you to ever be bidding against one of our clients. You know, it just, we put out the data and Again, it's a free market. I'm like, Dad, I, I know how to do this. I want to take in. He's like, just have someone else bid. Don't put it in someone's face. So I told, I he's like, I'm looking for someone to head up Texas. I'm like, I'm your guy. I, I uh, And so he hired me right there. He's like, hey. I said, I'm not so interested in the base. I, I'm not a great, I've never really worked for, I'm not a corporate guy. I, I don't, I don't, I just let me do my thing. I, I will build this thing. I will make this thing run. And you got to trust me a little bit. Um, I, I know Texas, I know how this works, the foreclosure. And so he took a chance and we kind of settled it on, you know, here's a small base, but you get X amount for every house we buy. So, um, third, I was with the company 33 months. Uh, the company went uh, built a proprietary analytics system, brought in an, a, a programmer that I knew, um, and they probably spent a million dollars to hit that guy, hmm. gave him a million dollars for his programming uh, that I brought in. And we had this thing. I, I mean, I got a PhD in analyzing 5,000 houses in 18 days. Wow. 
Wow. We would drive every house, do a title search on every house, <laughs> comp every house. I literally had, I had it down where we had 1.4 minutes to analyze houses. Wow. wow. I had pictures, draw, and I had everything. We And because we had to do this in Texas, and Texas is a super Tuesday state, there's only one auction. So um, we brought in, you know, I just built it from nothing. You know, we built it from nothing and just started buying the first month. He, um, we bought 72 houses on that one day. Um, and over 33 months, we bought 3,186 houses. Wow. Yeah, it was. So I would be driving down to Houston cause I'd go to Austin. I'd go to Houston to that because we didn't put out the data there. So I literally every Monday, the first Monday of every month, I would be driving in a rental car with 70, between 50 and $75 million in cashier's checks. <laughs> I mean, oh I, this, this thing was this thick cashiers cause you have to pay with cash. And about half of that was in my name. And so I'm like, I mean, Mexico is literally, <laughs> if I kept on going, I, I, I what, they're in my name. I'm not, you know, but no, yeah, you know, I never met it. I never met, I never made it to Mexico, but, um, so, so yeah, Josh, our, Josh, our producer is, is tuned in with us today. And I'm just watching his facial expressions as George is going through this and, uh, his eyes are just getting bigger and bigger as you're talking these numbers and these deals and, uh, how many things you're analyzing. So obviously, you know, Ashton, I've talked about this before of, um, you know, and I, and you bring up a, an amazing point, right. Of, of one, knowing the knowledge to, you know, tracking the data and in getting your systems in place, right. To where you could do those analytics and pull the trigger. Right. So I think that's mm-hmm. a huge thing of knowing your buy box and really defining that and being able to make a decision in a, in a quick time frame, I, I will touch on, I think one of the biggest takeaways I took from that journey that you were on as well as many of your competitors in that world. And I know you had a good ride, you know, uh, obviously, you know, uh, making the money you were making as a consultant and running that and facilitating it. Again, we go back to some of the biggest lessons as not retaining more of that for yourself um, as far as that inventory. Uh, but I know you and I talked about it and back then you were saying, man, these guys are nuts. They're paying like 105% of ARV after rehab value at the courthouse steps on sight unseen. Now, mind you, they had perimeters and they had age built and they had, they had figured out the data and they had figured out their buy box. Right. And, um, we thought they were nuts. Right. And I, I mean, just mm-hmm. you and I in the space is, as elementary as we were even with the 10 years experience we had at the time and and you more than that um but i think the takeaway was they saw that turn right they saw the turn on the market so out of that inventory how much did they how much do you think they kept um out of i forget the number of how many houses you said there were but um over three thousand uh or 30 how many did you say 3183. Yeah, 3183. Three, three, yeah. Uh, so yeah. 3183 3, properties. <laughs> How many did they sell and and what was their timeline on that and what did they what did they keep, do you know? I mean, I I would say 
95% they kept. Wow. I mean, only if it, yeah, 95%. Yeah. None of these were fix and flip. Right, None right. No, I know, I know the goal. I know the but, goal. But so part of that I was getting at is, I mean, I think you and I were talking about this in 2012 and their play was like a five-year play, right? So I, I mind you, they might've kept it longer, but um, in, in some of these terms, we used to hear that, right? Their, their plan is to hold these properties for five years mm-hmm. and then sell them. And obviously right. they got it right, you know, because we, we saw our mm-hmm. biggest jump, I think, with any inventory we had at the time in 2012 to 2013, there was a huge uptick in the market just in that year span that obviously we were excited for the little bit of inventory we had where, I mean, properties were increasing by 50 grand and we were like, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, we hit a home run. Um, but right. if you had the patience, right, to hang on to that property, like you said, their play was get it, get it, uh, you know, get it rented and hold that inventory and carry it out. And like you said, even to yeah. the, today, they may still own that inventory, right? Yeah, I don't know. Cause uh, yeah, I, I would, I, if I had to guess, because they are still, I mean, they're publicly traded when, when I was with them, they went public, you know, it was private. And then they brought in the, you know, um, the stock exchange people and everybody to rate them. And sure. they went public, but probably, a year before you know i left so i would suspect that they probably have held 75 percent they, they still hold 75 percent. i think they're the largest and they started acquiring more after i left they started acquiring other funds yeah right um and so i think blackrock was a big you know invitation homes was um a big player in that field but american homes i think they're the largest you know, uh, rental hedge fund, rental portfolio. You know, uh, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. They, in the, in the U S yeah. so wow. I would suspect, I mean, just knowing their thing their, I, I would, I'd be surprised if they don't still hold 75% of what they held. And that was just in one market. I mean, they, they were in probably 17 markets. Yeah. Um, at the same time, it was a spending, spending spree i mean it was crazy and it was fun i mean it really was just to ride this wave and i here's the biggest thing Uh, you know i saw that i was not going to be able to compete so you either you either get out of the business uh you try to compete or you join them right and so it was an easy (laughs) how do i benefit uh you know what? You know you got to take your pride so, off sometimes and just say, "Look, I, I'm not going to be able to compete with someone literally that you know I gave you an 85 percent, you know LTV or of ARV." No, eventually they were at 110 percent. I mean, it was they started tightening up and and basically just buy buy, and especially in um, which I agreed with. I did the same thing probably a year before. Um, is when all of my lines went down to next to nothing, I I said, I told myself I want to buy as much as I can, you know, when this market turns down and I can't pay cash for them. So, you know, I was still able to acquire 49 properties in one year. Um, uh, and how I did that is I took over loans. So I learned the strategy of subject to, 
Um, and I know subject to has a lot of uh, negative connotation to it. Uh, but I, again, I was brought up in the data business. So I remember when there was NQA loans, NQA loans were non-qualifying assumable mortgages. VA had them, FHA had them. And anybody could assume that mortgage if this loan was originated up until a certain date. It was assumable and no one had to qualify. You could just assume this mortgage. Mm. I looked at that and said, I doubt, well, here's what I know. I've never seen a lender foreclose or call a loan when it's current. Mm. Let me say that again. When that loan is being paid every month, that lender is not going to ask questions. It's when the loan is in default that they start going, what are we going to do? So I went to, I looked at, I'm from Plano, right? Um, and so I started saying, I, where are the greatest school district, public school districts around here? That's where I'm buying. Whoever has an exemplary school rating, I'm going to buy as much help, as many houses as I can now in 2011 and 12. Um, but I couldn't pay cash. So I said, I'm going to go to homeowners that are facing foreclosure. Um, before the auction, I can't do it. There's three ways to buy a foreclosure or quote unquote foreclosure before the auction, at the auction or after. After is an REO, but those are the three stages. And so I would go before the homeowner, I would bring that loan current. I would give that homeowner some walkaway money and I would just take over their loan. And yeah. That's how I did it. I was I didn't take out one loan to get forty nine houses. And then the rents, awesome. as long as so, the rents were covering their mortgage, you could just net zero and when be okay with it, hold it for appreciation or. I would say half of them. I was renting it for less. Wow. I was renting it for less than the mortgage, but here's what I I was banking on what I my data the data and again some of this is speculation, but I said which houses are going to rebound the quickest it's in good school districts mm, yeah so i identified good school districts and said look i'm taking over mortgage that's 1600 and i might only rent it out for 1400 i'm losing money every month but that 200 i'm going to get it back when this thing say, rebounds that's, that's, that's 2400 a year plus whatever you paid for walkaway money so when you look at that for the asset and the appreciation gain and the principal reduction game, you know, it's a no brainer, right? You're, you're still, yeah. your ROI is still, you know, double digits at that point. Right. Especially you gotta, with, yeah, you, with the appreciation point. I did want to ask about, so fast forward from, you know, 2012, 2014, you're accumulating pro projects. I know now, you know, just from what Tavis has told me and randomly, I dropped off some cabinet doors to a painter that was painting a house in one of the neighborhoods you're putting up. So I had no idea of the connection oh, at the wow. time, but he said, Hey, this is where I am. Wow. I brought the cabinet doors over to him there. And evidently he was, uh, he was on one of your projects. So I know that you are doing new build, you're doing some neighborhoods. Uh, and so Tell me about, tell me how you got there. And my, honestly, I'm really interested in, I'm getting started. And I think a lot of people are on the front end of investing. And like we talked about, there's a lot of 
real estate agents out there that are interested and, and they're kind of on the sidelines and how do I get started and where do I go? So knowing all that, you know, I mean, you've seen so many little facets of this industry. You, you are a data junkie. Where would you advise someone getting started today? Would you start, you know, f- buying raw land and trying to do a new build? Or do you say, let's find a, a nice little easy fix and flip. That's a, a median uh, price for the area. Like, how would you advise that? And so touch on where you are now and just kind of tell, you know, what would you talk to someone who's getting started on and where they would go with their day and their money? Yeah, I, I always start off with um, my recommendation is learn your fundamentals. You know, let, you know, if you, to me, it's all about valuating. Um, so I, I try to keep an open mind. I mean, if there's a fix and flip that comes across, I'm, I'm more leaning towards land, raw land than I am, but I at least can know how to monetize that lead. Um, right. It's all about monetizing a lead, but I always tell people focus on the fundamentals and then, um, you won't hesitate. That's, that's the one thing that I can say is that separated me from maybe a lot of other people is I don't hesitate. Um, I, you know, my father taught me, you should be able to see a house and close on it in 48 hours. That's how I want you to be. Um, and it seems unrealistic, but I was, you know, I was bought, you know, I bought a lot of houses at the auction and there's no title policy. So I was brought up not being where you have to close with a title company. And I love title companies. And I think title insurance is a great thing. Um, But I was taught and I was brought up with, you should be able to analyze and pull the trigger and close and not have to rely on a a title company to draw papers. No, you should know what is, is needed to control and own that asset. And you should be able to do it yourself. So Fundamentals to me, I think it comes down to four, four fundamentals. Number one is, and I, I like acronyms, Ashton. So number one is ARV. How do you come up with the ARV? You need MLS data. So if you don't have that data, you know, Zillow is not, that's not MLS data, right? The Redfin or whatever. No, no, no. You need accurate data. Um what what number two is ERC, estimated repair cost. What's it going to take to repair this property? Is it fifty thousand? It's at forty. I'm looking at the comps to tell me what my competition is doing, right? And Tavis knows this. I wanted. I like to over uh, rehab. I mean, I I want to be the best because I want it to be a no doubter. Mm. There's a uh, there's a house for five hundred thousand, and there's a house for five hundred thousand. Mine's going to be tricked out more. I'm just telling you, I will make less money on every deal, but I won't own that house for very long. So I'm always about I'm the um, on a baseball analogy. Um, I can't think of his name. He was Baltimore Orioles a long time player for them. He was the third baseman or shortstop. It's, it's yeah. Cal Ripken. I'm the Cal Ripken of real estate. Cal Ripken got on base every game. 
right? He just, he swung for singles and doubles. He didn't swing for home runs. And I, you know, and that maybe I'm not as wealthy as I should be. I'm okay with who I am, but I was on base and then I'd steal and I would help the team. And so I'm always swinging for singles and doubles. And eventually you're going to hit some home runs. When you take that swing, a smooth swing, you are going to hit some home runs, but I'm always on base. And I always look at it as I'll, I might leave a little bit on table and, um, but I don't want to own, I got burned. Um, I got burned in 2008 and nine where I had a bunch of houses and that taught me, Hey, you know, there's a chance that you could get burned. And I, you know, it wasn't bad where it bankrupted me, but it hurt my pocket. And so, um, Number one is the, you know, if you know how what the value is, if you know the repairs, be good at estimating repair costs, which takes years, Tavis, right? I mean, this is not something that should be taken lightly. Uh, and then what's your Mayo, your maximum allowable offer? I had a quick, you know, spreadsheet that taught, put me, okay, if I can sell it for this. If the rehab's this, it's going to take me this long. This is what I can pay. And so... I know that. And so, and then how do I control it? Like when I wouldn't leave the house, I would literally go in my car and write the offer right then and say, here, here's my offer. Oh, by the way, if you want to close tomorrow, we can do that too. Like I was prepared. I didn't hesitate. And so, but that takes reps. That takes a lot of reps and no one wants to do the reps, right? The grind. No one yeah. wants that anymore. They want, my son is 21. He's like, I want to be, I'm going to be the CEO. And I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You got to pick up a broom before you're going to own the restaurant. You know, no, I mean, I'm like, hey, go for it, man. Go. Yeah. I'd love to see it. Um, and again, I'm old school. Um, I, I think there's, you know, that grind, like you mentioned, Ashton, there's something to that. It, you know, it, you get that thick skin, but, um, that, you know, in controlling writing the offer, I think a lot of people, so those are the four things that I, I look for. Um, if you can master those, you're, you know, that's what I would tell realtors, you know, I, back in one, I, I got my license in 98 In one, I started taking some continuing education courses, right. And they were the most boring courses, Josh, I'd ever taken. These are con mandatory <laughs> continuing. I said, what am I doing all day here? I'm like, forget this. So I called, <laughs> I called the Texas real estate commission. I said, Hey, can I, can I, can I, I've got, I got four subjects I'd love to teach realtors about. And they're like, yeah. So I wrote four classes, got them approved. And I went around Texas teaching realtors and I would, I would, I would, my first question about investing, uh, you know, and foreclosures, short sales, tax sales, uh, just the different leads that are out there. And my first question, usually in front of a group, I'm at the Metro Tex, and these are people paying uh, normally MCE. I would charge a hundred dollars for a three-hour MCE course, which was a lot. Now you could probably do it for nine dollars, right? I mean, but. I would have a hundred people in this course and this classroom. And I'm like, Hey, raise your hand. How many investors do we have to hear today? And, you know, investors would come, they're not realtors. They'd come to the class 
Um, they, I'd get 10, 10 people raise their hand. And I'm like, that's the problem, guys. Realtors, you don't think of yourself as an investor. And you, you, you've got everything going for you. And it's a mindset. Y'all are all investors. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's start investing ourselves. All right. I want you to help your clients, but I want you to help yourself. So with all that being said, let me answer your question, Ashton and, and Tavis. In 2015, I was working on a rehab, big rehab, $150,000 rehab, just tearing it all up, adding square footage. I met a guy next door. He was the GC um, for that uh, fix and flip next door. His name was Daniel. He came over. Um, he He's like, hey, you know, he's, we started talking. We just, you know, neighborly and two guys doing the same thing. And I could see kind of like, the word talent, I could tell this guy walked through and said, Hey, have you thought about doing this? I'm like, I just met you. <laughs> like you're giving me all these. And I'm, but the guy was so humble. He was doing it in the most kindest way. And I'm like, and then I went and saw, he actually did reef. He, he had a, one of his companies was refinishing or laying hardwoods. And I, he's like, Hey, I can do all this. And here's the price is a great price. And I said, well, let me look at your finished product. And he's like, he showed me three projects he was working for that were 10 minutes away. I'm like, done. We kept on working. I, we More and more, we started doing stuff together. He came to me and said, hey, I'm thinking about, uh, there's a lot that I bought. Tornado knocked down the house. The slab is still there. I'm going to build. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So I want you to write down this address. 1609 Nueces. 1609 N-U-E-C-E-S, Nuasis Drive, in Garland. Google that. So basically, I he I went there and I looked at this lot. And, you know, just uh, in a 1980s Fox and Jacob, Syntex kind of neighborhood, right? Um, and so he's like, I got a plan. And I said, man, I, I like it. You know, I just didn't think anything of it. So a month later, he calls me and, and um, basically I said, Hey, I need, I need to give you some money. Cause he was working for one of my rehabs, you know, doing some stuff. He's like, Hey, can I take you to lunch? I want to show you what I'm doing, you know, at my, at this house. You remember that new mall? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I went over there and this house was done. He had built this house. Now the, the foundation was there. Right. He was using the existing foundation. He had built this Austin stone looters. What would you what what stone is that? Are, have you pulled it up? No, I didn't, I didn't pull it up. OK, I, I know this thing was before. beautiful. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I mean, I was like, I was like, what the heck? I'm like, dude, I looked at my calendar and it was 27 days. Wow. He built this. I'm like. I said, what? <laughs> I said, how did you do this? He's like, well, I mean, we work six days a week. I mean, I had this guy. I'm like, uh, I'm like, can you do this again? He's like, yeah, I just need money. I just need money and lots. I'm like, my name is George Roddy. How you doing? <laughs> let me let me reintroduce yourself. I said, hey, I'll I'll find the lots. I'll I'll find the money. I'll. I'll do everything. You just hand, you just do this, bro. You do this and we're golden. Yeah. And we're, we're, and so I partnered with that. I didn't, 
I hadn't bought another fix and flip since that was 2000. That was not, that was September, 2016. When I saw that house, I was done. I was like, if we can do this, if you can build houses in 30 days and this house was inside, I'm like, look, I've been around a lot of houses and I'm like, man. So that's when I started. That's, that was my journey. Number one, I did it because everybody started becoming a fix and flipper right? Chip and Joanne, right? Fixer upper. Everybody's a fixer upper. Oh no, I'm a fixer. I'm like, here's what I don't want. When everybody's doing something, I'm out. Yeah. So that's what, that's number one. When every, and so I knew it was harder for someone to go from ground to roof, right? You're asking Ashton, Hey, you got a different sandbox. Right. Yeah. So that's what I always look for when everybody, everybody's a builder now, I'm out, right? As soon as that happens, and that's why I want to go commercial. I want to go, I'm looking at the next thing because, but it's harder for a newbie to go from to build houses. They just don't have the infrastructure and all of the good trades. Can they do it? Yeah, but um, it's harder. You know, you can get a GC. And so that's why I went that direction. It's competition. I I looked at it as I can't compete with people who don't know what they're doing and overspending, overbidding properties, either on MLS or at the auction. But land, usually there's not as many competitors on dirt. And so I just went, where's the least competition? I don't mind competition. But I can't fix someone that doesn't know that they're making a mistake over and over and make a living. So I had to go in a different genre. That's awesome. So, George, uh, mm-hmm. wrapping that up and just knowing um, what do you what does your goals look like uh, for 2024 and the next? I mean, where do you see your business going in the next five years? Um, what what have you thought about? Yeah, I I've always kind of stayed in the uh, in the market of if the if the market tanks, I don't want to be holding a bunch of high end spec speculative. Uh, I've always I'd rather make less money, so I'm kind of a little conservative on this side. So I like I, I just think that I, I started with you know a three two four two buying cheap dirt. And, you know, it's hard right now. I mean, everybody, it's it's just difficult. I'm having to go a little bit farther out and look at that next Anna. Look at the next, you know, Roy City or Rockwall or where is this next? Is it south? Is it north? And that's where I'm going. I bought some land in Wilmer, um, south of Dallas, you know, three lots a couple of years ago. Just sat on it and, you know, built three houses there. I mean, I'm looking outside and buying cheap dirt. You make your money on the buy side, yeah. right? We know that. Now, sometimes you get lucky if you hold it long enough, right? It it appreciates, but I'm, I'm in essence a fix and flipper. Um, you know, I'm just doing it on a new product. So, um, you know, my partner wants to go, we're doing a, a higher end project in Preston Hollow. Um, and he likes that big payday, right? Which is great mm-hmm. until the market turns. Right. So I don't. I'm I'm more about singles and doubles. Look, let's just find let's let's build these 
18 to 2,000 square foot houses because if the market ever goes bad, we'll rent them out, hmm. right? I mean, we're not going to have a problem renting these out. So if they don't sell, let's rent them. I've always been the five to one ratio. Uh, every fifth house I keep, hmm. right, that we build, you know, let's make our money on the four and on the fifth one we keep. Um, if we're doing, you know, because I like to stay in that 15 to 2,000 square foot home. Um, so that's what I'm doing. I, you know, would I like to get into more commercial? Yes. I want to do, I want to find somebody that, um, you know, I want to find some land where I can do some commercial, more multifamily. You know, I did a townhome project that which mm -hmm. you, you know, can you help me out on Tavis and Louisville, a small one, you know, six units, but I like multifamily. I, um, I, I want to own, you know, some small multifamily projects. Um, I just like, like that. Um, I know there's a lot of it, um, a lot of apartments coming out, you know, that are being built right now. I think there's a lot, there's oversaturation of that, even though a lot of people are coming here, there's just way too many doors. And I feel like that market's going to get affected pretty deep. Um, but we'll see, they keep on building it. And, um, so I just, that, that's what I'm looking forward to for 2024 is stay small. I mean, you know, don't, don't get outside the lines as far as the product that you're offering. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to hold on. I'm not going to do a lot of high end specs. I'm just looking for cheap dirt that I have to go a little bit farther away, but I've already proven that I bought lots in bad areas. People will still buy in, in quote unquote, not exemplary school districts, right? If you put a new product, people love new. Yeah. And so that's what I, that's how we started off is I just bought lots from the cities, you know, for pennies on the dollar and, in you know, semi rough neighborhoods. And I put a new product up and boom, Hey, those people like to be in that neighborhood. They just want to move into some, a new product and they'll pay. So I like that. I've done that before. It's been, it's a proven model for me. Uh, I'm going to sprinkle in some multifamily, most likely I've got a development that we're working on in Roy city, a 30 acre development, um, that I've, I've got to, you know, got to get going and we're working on that. But other than that, I think stay small, you know, the Cal Ripken, I'm just going to continue being Cal Ripken. <laughs> I love it. So George, I, I, it, yeah. I think one of the biggest takeaways I've had, uh, from this that I've heard you say over and over, uh, throughout your journey has been exit strategy. And, uh, I would say that, you know, myself, that's something that, uh, I'm always looking at, right. Is it is having multiple exit strategies and anything that, uh, that I invest in. So, uh, glad to hear you say that as well. Uh, and just where you're going, you know, like you said, it's, if you end up with some inventory at the price points you have and the builds, you can always rent it. Right. So if that's just having that, that backup plan, if, if that first, if the first plan uh, doesn't work out. So if the market, if the market doesn't agree with you, right, the market, you, you know, the market's never wrong. It just disagrees with you. There you go. So George, how can, yeah. how can people find you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah. Go to, uh, right now, Rosso, Rosso, R O S O homes.com. 
that's the that's our brand for our company. RO is for Roddy. SO is for Soto, my partner. So I just combined them and created Rosso. Um, and yeah, check us out. We're a small builder. Um, we love representing or building for clients and we love building for ourselves. And so, you know, if, if you uh, want to touch base or you have questions, I always tell people, I read a book, Never Eat Lunch Alone. So I tell everybody, guys, look at me. I eat lunch every day. So from <laughs> noon to one, if you want to buy me lunch, you get an hour. You get an hour. Now, I might, if you don't mind me talking and eating, you know, there might be some nuggets you can get from me. So I tell people, hey, I took out a lot of people for lunch when I grew up. And I still do. I love taking people to lunch because that one nugget and with people in Ashton, I don't know you. I know Tavis. Look, I'm just telling you guys, Tavis is the real deal. This guy, he's got so much knowledge and no offense to anyone, but I love talented people and, and Tavis, you know, Ashton, if you don't, you know it already, but this guy is the real deal. And so I could, can't, I can't, my, you know, I, I can't say enough about, you know, Tavis. Here's what I like. I like people that are humble but are talented. And I try to, I know I've been talking me, me, me. I, I try to stay humble. The biggest thing for me, and I know we need to wrap up is I'm kind of, I don't mind going in a different direction than everybody else, but it's naive of me, like the lone wolf mentality. I kind of have that lone wolf mentality, but here's what I learned is never think that you're going to do it alone. If you think you're going to be successful doing it by yourself, you're crazy. You got to have talented people to help you along the journey. You just align with talented people. It's okay to ask questions, but and go a different direction, but have talented people that you can align with and bounce ideas off of and that you trust and that are not looking, what can I gain from you, but rather what can we build together? Well, if eating lunch and being around Tavis is the key to success, then I am well on my way because I don't miss any meals and I'm spending plenty of time with him. So those are my two I, keys I will, to success. Uh, I will yeah. definitely be yeah. hence, retiring. Hence the name so, of our podcast. No, no. Here, I mean, right? Tavis is. <laughs> They're, yeah, the real estate heavyweights. It's not because either of us are prize fighters. That is for sure. Oh so, man. Well, George, man, it's been awesome uh, hearing you talk. I could seriously sit here for a long, long time to hear you. Thank you guys for joining in. This is one of uh, our first of hopefully a bunch of interviews are going to bring. Uh, George, you set the bar really high. I mean, I don't know. Like, we're going to have to really start searching for some super <laughs> high quality people to bring on here because uh, you you had some awesome stories and set the bar super, super high. You did awesome. So. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed it. You're going to probably scrap half of what I said. It's fine. No, I'm, I'm, no. I'm good. Yeah. No, no I think, I no, think we're going to no, have to keep this at an so, hour. Just people are just going to have to listen yeah, on, uh, on their right. two way trip instead of just their one way trip. So, <laughs> yep. If Joe Rogan can get away with three, we can get away with one every <laughs> once in a while. So, yeah. So thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we will definitely be coming to you again with another interview. We'll be coming to you with our market analysis episode where we do a little bit of a lighter take on the, the market, the news, and you know a few tips and tricks about the real estate industry. We come to you with that once a week. So if you have not done it yet, please subscribe, please like, 
definitely share it with a friend. After you hear this episode, I know you're going to want to send this to as many people as you can that want to learn about investing. Uh, and George, again, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we, we hope, wish you the best. And we will see all of you guys next time. All right. See ya. <laughs>